Hey folks, welcome to episode 319 of the MLF Bass Fishing Podcast in Shaftesbury, Vermont. I'm Jody White. I'm joined from Norwalk, Iowa. Sunny Norwalk, Iowa. Beautiful <laughs> Norwalk, Iowa. Resplendent Norwalk, Iowa by the one and only Kyle Wood. Yeah, man. Um, uh, Kyle, recently a signed Brian Thrift Evinrude crankbait came into my possession. Uh, buddy in Florida sent it to me. This is, I mean, honestly, it's a one of the greatest things that I own. It, it, it's fantastic. Um, and I don't know why someone would give it up. Like, why did Buddy get rid of it? I mean, here's the thing: Dicky just loves me. He's a he's a good friend. Shout out to Dicky. He man. knew I would cherish it. Yeah. Uh, I guess I have thought about trying to catch a fish on it. I decided against it. Yeah, definitely don't uh, do that. One, most, in large part because I suspect a pike would find this particular uh, pink and chartreuse <laughs> hue. I was just going to say, delectable. Look at, look at the color of that thing. It screams pike. Yeah, first cast, <laughs> eight pound pike, poof, snaps Gone. you off for sure. Uh, second, what do you think about me getting uh, Brian to sign it again on the other side? And us putting a mercury sticker on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I think him signing the other side is fine. I think also I would just minimize risk of losing it or something happening to it and just put it in a case and, you know, put it up on the wall. All right. Well, in that case, I'm going to chuck it into my random hard baits box here. Perfect. And uh, we'll uh, keep it in a nice, safe spot. <laughs> Um, gosh, it's a, it's a real blast from the past. I wonder, I got to get the story sometime on when he did that. Cause there must've been a time where he had to sign a whole bunch of these generic Evernerd crankbaits, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It had to be like sitting like, at the expo or, or yeah. Did like they have that. hooks on them when he signed them? You know, Cause what, seems... what was his process? Yeah. 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 We should, uh, should get to the bottom of that. Maybe we'll have thrift on the show in a couple weeks, just solely to talk about that. Um, it'd be it'd be worth it but anyway kyle we have a good show i suspect today we don't have a set interview yet maybe it'll be some college national champions maybe it'll be something else maybe it'll just be you and i talking the whole time by the time people are listening to this they'll know what we ended up with that they will Um, but other than that we have uh a bunch of college action to talk about for the national championship. We've got Dale Hollow. We've got Redcrest. We've got a ton of BFL events. We are well into fishing season. Uh, we also have open water fishing for both you and I. Yeah, uh, that's simultaneously. Probably the, probably the biggest news this whole whole episode. So buckle up for that, folks. Yeah, it's like truly, uh, truly incredible to be honest. <laughs> um, that I mean, mostly that you went fishing. Uh, it really is, yeah. It's you know incredible that I went fishing from a finally being able to go fishing standpoint, <laughs> not from a actually doing it standpoint. And right. then you've got sturgeon coming up. Like uh, dude, we have th- a lot to talk about. Things are happening, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'll get, I would say we'll throw this to a hypothetical interview, and then you and I will be back to talk more fishing very shortly. Sound good? Let's do it. 
Alrighty, and now we are joined by Caden Prophet and Cason Ragsdale of East Texas Baptist University, our uh, reigning national champs. Uh, congratulations, guys. Thank <laughs> you. Um, I, I guess, first of all, so we can all have a basis here, can you tell me a little bit about yourselves, like how you ended up at ETBU in college fishing and we'll kind of take it from there and talk tournament, you know, after that. So we both fished competitively in high school and it's kind of funny. We live, we grew up 15 minutes from each other, but never fished together. We had always fished against each other in the high school ranks in the Texas high school bass association. And we both had pretty good seasons, pretty good success. And then we both got recruited to ETBU and we looked at where we were from. We're like, hey, we live 15 minutes from each other. You want to go fishing and see if we you know, would work well together? And um, from there, we, we just started fishing together, and that's kind of where the whole story started. But, yeah, for me personally, I started fishing competitively my freshman year of high school, always outdoors and doing things like that, but didn't start really getting into the competitive field until, until high school. Yeah, and I've fished my whole life basically i mean from the time i could walk i was fishing around ponds and stuff and uh my papa has fished for a long time now since he was in his 20s or 30s so um pretty much everything i know i learned from him and i've been around the sport growing up i think i started fishing tournaments when i was 11 or so started fishing in little league tournaments in the back of the boat behind him. And uh, like Casey said, we fished against each other in high school. And then uh, I knew that that's what I wanted to do in college and potentially to start a career in the sport. So uh, ETBU seemed like a good opportunity and uh, got recruited and we ended up here. What was it like getting recruited? Because when I fished in college, there was no college fishing recruiting it was like maybe you knew someone who was on the team and so, yeah so we have a um it's not like not like football or baseball so much where we have scouts that go out and like key in on certain players but um, obviously we watch the high school results and stuff and we keep up with high school tournaments to see who's having success. But we don't really uh, – our coaches don't really seek out guys. We have uh, more of an application sheet online where you have to go and you fill it out. And just because you fill it out does not mean you get on the team. I mean, the probably I would say the majority don't get a spot, but um, they – it kind of helps to narrow down to where you can key in on certain guys and the guys that really want to be there rather than going out and thinking by the results, Oh, this guy looks like a good fit. And then you talk to him and he's like, well, I, yeah, I'll take some free money. And he wasn't really even thinking about it. So it's kind of, it's harder than other sports to me. Uh, just because you, you don't really know you can't go out and scout and watch their play by play as much. So the, the vetting process we have, so ETBU, we're a competitive team, but it's also about growing as Christians, growing together as you know fellow anglers. So it's more, like what Caden was saying, it's more than just results. 
So luckily we both had really good seasons in high school, but we've got some guys on here that never won a tournament. They just were always successful in top 25, top 50, whatever, but they had that drive and that academic backing. And they also had that, you know, mindset of something that would line it up with ETBU, which was very important. That's more important than, than the fishing skill. Cause I think that can be learned through experience and time where you can't really teach character and, you know, bonding and growth and stuff. So kind of like ahead of time, you guys both were like, Hey, I want to, you individually decided that you wanted to go to ETBU or you thought that that would be a good place to fish in college. And then before it we happened that you got in and started to fish together. <laughs> yes, sir. Before we both committed, we didn't like, we had never fished with each other or anything. And then, after we both realized that we were committed, then we connected. That's cool. It's cool too. Like as far as I can tell, you haven't fished with like any other partners is at, at the college level. Is that right? Uh, I I started uh, my first probably four or five tournaments. I fished with Jacob Keith of uh, one of the other guys that was in the top ten uh, last week. But other than that, it's just been us. That was kind of my first year coming in, and his partner graduated, and he was just like, hey, you fished with me, and we kind of finished the season out together. And then the next year, a few more guys graduated, and we got in a boat together, and we've been fishing together ever since. Cool. Well, it definitely seems like it's it's worked out. Even if, like, you were telling me, you know, at the tournament and then just a little bit ago that, like, last year was brutal for you guys even though you were like around fish all the time, right? Yes, sir. We, uh, we just couldn't catch a break last season. It seemed like every tournament practice would be decent. Sometimes practice would be really good, but it would always, it would at least be decent. We'd feel pretty good about it going into the tournament and whether it was changing weather conditions that moved fish or losing fish. I mean, there was at least two tournaments that we had the fish on to for sure have a top five and just lost them and it wasn't like a losing fish like you set the hook on one it feels big and it comes off and you're like oh that was a 10 pounder like we were getting them most of the way to the boat and they were jumping right at the boat and coming off i mean i i remember one that i lost that was an it was an eight or nine pounder probably and i broke it off it came up and jumped next to the boat trying to throw my bait out of its mouth and we ended up weighing in four fish and missing the qualifying cut by two and a half pounds. Oof. So, <laughs> that um, that, so that season, I mean, that was the, the qualifying year for this 2022 national championship. So going through that struggling, we were like, man, we really want to qualify. And, and then ended up, you know, always right out of the cut. And then our last tournament, is where we just hunkered down and said, this is our time. We have to do it here. We're not qualifying for this year. And got on a good practice, um, good little area at Dardanelle in October, and then it all just worked. I don't really know what we did that was special. but it was just like that's when things started clicking was that tournament, and we didn't lose any fish. And uh, everything just really came together, and it – I know for sure it boosted my confidence. I was like, okay, we finally got it rolling. We we found the fish and we caught them. We finally put the two things together that it takes to be successful. And uh, 
qualified at the last possible opportunity. And I mean, if we hadn't, if it hadn't come together at that tournament, then it wouldn't matter what was happening right now. We wouldn't have qualified for this tournament. And that win last week would have never happened. Yeah. Did, uh, um, do you feel like you are, were fishing mechanically different or better, or was it almost entirely a mental thing where you guys just felt better and thus you fished better? Does that make any sense? I I feel like for sure the majority of it was mental, but we did start paying attention to smaller details. Like I know there was a, one fish that he lost that we remember where his where he had his rod, he set the hook into me and didn't get a good hook in the fish, and that's why he lost it. So little things like that, like being mindful of rod positioning while you're making a cast, because it doesn't do any good to get a bite if you set the hook into your partner's stomach and don't get a hook in the fish. And just like things like that where you're not just getting in each other's way. But, and it, it's kind of funny. So we got a GoPro for this last season and, you know, we put, that was our money that we just wanted to see, you know, our fish catches and definitely going into the season, we were getting the GoPro for a lot of success. We were thinking, it's going to be awesome. We're going to you know, post it on YouTube. Everybody's going to see all these nice top five, top two victories and stuff. And, you know, then we have the worst season we've had. But it was nice to be able to watch. It's almost like watching game film because we'd look at it and be like, okay, I don't know that that's why I lost that fish. But potentially for the next time, you need to have your rod like this or, Caden, you need to stand like this or work your bait a certain way so that you were more effective. It's all about – controlling variables that you can control because you can't make a fish bite even if you have the live scope and have the best new bait whatever you can't make the fish bite and you can't control weather and all those different things but you can control the variables that you can and it's just one of those one of those deals that's you gotta try to be the best at what you can do cool i want to circle back to like uh, ETBU and you guys a little bit more, but let's, I guess, talk tournament now. Um, F4 Gibson, it was, like, the fishing was pretty terrible, honestly. Um, you know, you guys won and didn't have a limit all three days. I don't think any team actually had a limit all three days. Um, there was a couple teams that had limits two days in a row and they couldn't keep it going. Um, what a... I guess, how did you feel going into it? Like, after practice, did you think that you were going to do well? Uh, what well, was the vibe? Um, the first day of practice, the water was high, and it was cold. Still. I mean, the water was – it started off, like, I think 47 degrees or something the first morning of practice. It was pretty chilly. And uh, I caught two fish on back-to-back casts on the first spot I stopped. It was two two-and-a-half-pounders, and I – there were more down there. I could see them on live scope. So I was like, okay, cool. I, I left, went looking for stuff like that. Four hours later, hadn't had another bite. I was like, well, I guess I need to change something up. Went to the back of a creek and get to one little 10-yard stretch of bank, catch two fish on back-to-back cast. And one of them was a four-pounder. And I was like, okay, cool. Then the rest of the day, didn't get another bite. So I caught four keepers in pairs on back-to-back casts on two completely different spots. And I was like, okay, so I'm just going to kind of scratch today. 
and tomorrow just completely change it up because obviously there was no consistency with what I was doing, so there had to be something more to it. The next day was the little short two-hour day. We had to be off the water by 10 because we had to go to the Redcrest Expo. Yeah, the weirdest practice day of all time. <laughs> it was. It was so strange. And actually, that ended up being the practice day that kind of keyed us in on what we needed to be doing. Uh, actually had uh, 16 pounds that morning. In that, Holy that smokes. Hour. Yeah, it was uh, like pull up on a spot, catch a fish. And I was like, oh, dang. And then move on and first cast the next spot, catch one. And they were all three to four pounders. I was like, okay, well, there could be there's something more to this than what we were on yesterday, for sure. And then the last day of practice, it kept warming up and uh, went back and checked some of those areas and didn't didn't get bit in them like I thought we would. So um, honestly, kind of nervous going into it because had a good day on the second day of practice, but then really struggled to get bit on the last day of practice and. So we really didn't know what to expect. So I was like, man, they moved with the water changing, the weather changing. I mean, yeah, I had that one good day, but I, I guess they left because we couldn't get bit. So, I mean, really, we didn't know. Uh, and we had to adjust a lot. But that little that little bite that we got on, on day two uh, ended up being kind of what we keyed on. And uh, we looked for areas like that and fished around them they weren't necessarily on the same stuff and it was like some fish moved up and some moved out they just kind of scattered when the when the weather started being funky hmm. yeah it was weird because you had like falling water but also you know pretty significantly warming temperatures and then mm -hmm. during the tournament it like basically just got colder and the water like kind of fell but not like by that much yeah um, and then it kind of leveled out and it almost started coming up on the last day of the tournament and then it it didn't i actually really. think it did come up in the afternoon of day two yeah maybe a few inches a like, it was, like it tried to come back up so hmm. i don't know it was conflicting conditions for sure so day one you take the lead you weigh seventeen nine, uh which was a huge bag. Uh, what Jury did on day two was like absolutely mind blowing. Seventeen nine was also mind blowing, like in the scope of this tournament. Um, how did you catch him on day one? Like what went down? So day one, it was kind of funny. They, you know, that was probably the most. I don't want to say what we had practiced, but it was what we had found. It was the fish were right in the similar areas. We were able to kind of key in on where we were what we had planned on in practice, we didn't have to scramble as much as we did day two and day three, but we definitely scrambled a lot and definitely adapted to the day because the wind was howling the entire day. And I mean, we just, I think that the thing that set us apart from a lot of the other guys was, was the wind specifically because we stuck it out in the wind. We were out there taking waves over the bow, taking waves over the back deck. I mean, it was, it was brutal. But but we did it because that's where our fish were, and that's what we knew we needed to do to compete. Pretty insane when you're taking waves over the bow when you're sitting in eight foot of water. I mean, it's not like we were out deep on, on the, the Great Lakes. Yeah. No, I mean, we were in eight foot of water throwing it two, three foot on points and still taking them over the bow. It was blowing so hard. Dude, you wouldn't think that, like, 
a fish would live there in those conditions. You know, you'd think they'd just be like, well, the water over my head is changing four feet every two minutes. I'm going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> but. Well, so it's kind of funny. One of the fish, and you can't really see it on our GoPro video because where I had to stand, but I was standing and we were throwing. There was a, a point with some rocks on it and there was a little cypress tree that he had caught some fish on in practice on just on a point next to a spawning cove. And I, I bombed my cast all the way up, like almost across the wind. So my, my line bowed, I don't know, 20, 30 feet in the air. And it landed perfectly where that line ran right down that cypress tree. And the fish, when the waves were hitting it, the fish couldn't have been in more than a foot of water because of the way the waves were hitting. And I was just reeling it. And I, I swung on it and I said, dang, Caden, I caught that cypress tree. And then the cypress tree started moving, and I was like, "Oh man, this is a this is a weird root." And I, you know, set the hook on it and everything, and because in the wind you can't feel anything, yeah. And and those fish weighed heavy, so when I saw it jump, I was like, "Oh, Caden, okay, that's like a two pounder." And in this tournament, a two pounder, we were still excited. We we're like, "That's one of our keepers," and got it in the boat and weighed it, and it was three and a half. And you know, it's stuff like that when you know you make a cast like in a the craziest conditions and it lands where you want it to and you catch a fish how you think you should it's like man something's different about this tournament you know things are working gosh day so like day two day three you guys you still fished slowly but you know you kind of seemed like you know you would expand back into a pocket some or like more along a shoreline a little bit day one were you like basically like mostly just staking out on points and like putting it on spot lock and trying to stay there until you got tired of getting beat up on that one spot. <laughs> yeah. I think on, on day one because what really made us feel like that was the deal was just the quality that we were catching. And we, cause we definitely weren't getting many bites I and mean, we only got five keeper bites, but it seemed like every point that we go to, if we stayed there long enough, we'd catch one that was three to five pounds. So we didn't see any reason to waste time expanding on up into creeks where you might catch a a, a two pounder or even like 12 inches it was it seemed more worth our time to sit out on those points and really just cast and cast and cast and cast for 45 minutes before you get one bite but that one bite would be a three and a half four or five pounder what did you catch him on on day one frank bay uh he caught him on a um spro or a storm arashi Square that, that time was a six cents. Or, yeah, a six cents. We threw a. You so threw the things. tackle box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, so if you look on our on the pictures and everything, it's easy to say yes, we threw a, a red square bill, but it was crazy because we'd have four different red square bills on there, all of them different sounds, action size, variation. I mean, yes, they're all red square bills, but they were. It seemed everything. like it made a difference like from day to day the different ones like one day it was one day that you couldn't get bit on anything but that arashi it seemed like but in practice it was the sixth sense that was really catching them and then uh i even caught a couple on a dt6 in day three it was the spro yeah in day three it was a spro flat side so the square bill it kind of changed every day and that might have just been a mental thing too but it it seemed to make a difference yeah that's really it's interesting because, like, obviously, if you look at the top ten baits, a uh, red square bill was the key. But every, almost everybody was throwing a different one, and mm -hmm. every team probably thought that there was 
a really good reason behind why they were throwing that one. Yes. And you guys obviously threw multiple and also thought there was a good reason to it. Like, anyway, I guess there's not really an answer to that other than the fish are weird. But I, I it was an interesting top weird. 10. It, it is weird. I, I've always thought about that because I'm like, you know, in my mind, that's the only bait I can catch them on. But in reality, there's people all over this like catching them all, all kinds of different things. So maybe it's just a mental thing. Like it just makes you feel like you're more confident throwing it because that's what you happen to catch a couple on this morning. I don't know. Well, it definitely worked better than what everyone else threw, uh, despite that you guys threw like six different baits. But Well, and, you know, we made a lot of in-the-moment decisions. So we'd be throwing – so say when we were throwing our chatterbaits, we'd be throwing it, and day one, we'd catch some fish on or Well, mainly, so day two, we'd catch fish on a certain color. And then day three, we'd scratch everything we had from day two, and we had to start new, like we were fishing a whole new lake. I mean, we would change colors, retrieves, weights, I mean, everything. So, I mean, the main thing that we did this tournament was just staying on our toes and, and never, never really – locking into oh well this is what we did yesterday or this is where they were yesterday because they probably weren't in the same spot with all the weird conditions yeah days two and three like what sort of expansions did you make because i know you started going back further into some stuff you added like some totally unique places you hadn't been to before Um, yeah talk about that uh so the morning of day two we started um on a point that we had caught some fish on and when we didn't get bit there after probably 20 minutes of throwing at it, I was like, you know, it's warmed up since yesterday, so the fish might be pushing back, getting closer to ready to spawn. Uh, so we just decided to fish up the one bank of that. It was just a little cut, probably 50 yards back, and we fished up that bank and got all the way to the back of it and caught our first keeper. It was our kicker for the day. It was almost five, and... I mean, the day before, we didn't fish anything like that. Even in practice, we didn't really fish anything like that. It was just kind of one of those things, like, you look around, I mean, it's 20 degrees warmer than it was two days ago. The water's warmed up a good 10 degrees, so why wouldn't the fish have pushed back a little bit? And by the end of the day, we realized that not a ton of fish had moved back. Uh, It wasn't like this big revelation that we ended up, catching a bunch of fish doing, but if we hadn't made that decision to go on back in that creek, we wouldn't have caught that five pounder. That was a key fish for sure. And, you know, like saying we were staying on our toes, we caught that fish and then we kind of put it in live well and scratched it. Like, yep, that happened. That was cool. Okay. That's irrelevant now. Let's go fish the day somewhere else. You know, we didn't really, run others like up in creeks on every spot because we caught a five pounder in a creek it was just a wow that's a cool fluke deal that that it actually worked what we thought or how we thought it would and then just moved on you guys fished like some run-ins on day two too right which like even though that wasn't successful in my head like that's a pretty cool uh adaptation to make you know yeah we actually uh i think i got it I got it backwards on the last one. We didn't – the spot I caught that five-pounder is not where we started. That was our second spot because we did, we started on a run-in yeah. that morning. It was a, a little gut that we had fished the first day that um, I, I remembered fishing. When we fished it, I looked up. I was like, man, I bet if it rains, water will be running in this. And 
that night, obviously, it right. <laughs> was. So that next morning, we were sitting at takeoff, and I said, hey, let's go over there and start at that little gut where I said it looked like a waterfall. Just, I mean, if there's water running in, and now, I mean, we didn't catch anything, but we ran two or three spots like that that I had remembered it looked like water might run in and there was water running in all of them, but uh, we never caught anything, but it could have worked. I mean, yeah. And it, I mean, if it did work, it turns into a perfect decision. And even though mm-hmm. it didn't work, like it kind of, I guess it showcased the adaptability, right? Where mm-hmm. you were able to, you didn't lock in on it, absolutely having to do one thing. And mm-hmm. that's kind of why you won. But talking about that run in, um, we actually were leaving one, on day one, one of our starting spots, and looked on the map and said, hey, those contours look right on that bank. And we you know, pull a full 180 and run over there with the boat. Hadn't seen it in practice, just thought it looked good on the map, and ended up in the tournament we caught two of our good keeper fish off of it, two, three, three and a half pounders. A three and a half on day one and a three and a half on day three. And that was a spot we had never – I mean, they were on completely different spots on that little stretch, but we knew that it looked right and it was the right transition and the right kind of area. So we were confident and we put probably an hour, hour and a half both days on in that spot because we just knew it looked right. And a lot of, I mean, we saw probably what four or five boats fish that area, but a lot of guys would throw three or four casts at it and then move on where we were, you know, throwing 20, 40, 60 casts per little spot and and then move down 15 feet and do it again move down 15 feet so it was brutally slow but at the same time we would never stop moving we were always doing something the level of thoroughness you guys had was like really impressive to me because you know these days like you can watch a lot of live fishing and a guy's not even making a cast if they don't see a fish on their live scope right like it's almost, you know, making multiple casts at an area where you're not 100% sure, like, that you're actually casting at a fish. It's, like, almost a thing of the past. How did you guys end up fishing that meticulously? Like, did you, could you see fish there on your electronics, or could did you just have confidence that if you fished X spot long enough, it would produce? So I think it's kind of funny. Everybody jokes like that we go and practice fish all the time which you know our practice is going out on the lake so all the other sports teams kind of laugh when we tell them that but you know lake of the pines right near us it's got we we spent a lot of time out there and and there's some stuff that we know where there's a stump or a or a shell bed or something that we know fish will run through and you can sit there for 20 30 minutes and make the exact same cast and not get a bite, and then throw up there back-to-back and catch two seven-pounders. So it's it's one of those things we kind of had confidence that the areas we were in were transition areas, and we also knew those fish were confused in the fact that the water was coming up, going down, temperature was changing, the, just so many different variables that we knew we needed to be having our bait where the fish was coming through at the what, uh, whatever time it came through. It wasn't it wasn't like we were throwing at resident fish that lived on a specific stump and we said, okay, there should be a three pounder on this stump. We threw at it till we caught it. It was just a, if there's going to be a fish, it should be the right quality. Let's just keep our heads down and find it. It also saved time too, because there, 
you were getting so few bites anyway, it seemed more productive to keep your bait in a high percentage area rather than burn down a 300-yard stretch of bank hoping you meet up with the right fish at the right time. I mean, there chance so much doing that. But if you have one point on an entire bank, then odds are if you sit there and throw at that point for an hour, at some point in that hour, a fish is going to come across that point and you're going to throw at it. And that's, to me, your odds are better doing that than they are burning down a bank when the bite's tough anyway. I mean, when you're looking at 14 fish to weigh in in a three-day tournament, you kind of um, you have to gamble. I mean. Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's cool that like you kind of figured that out because it would be so tempting to just go as fast as you can and try to like find the next active fish. And there were teams that did that, and that's not how you needed to fish to win the tournament, you know. So you figured it out, uh, and, you know. Congratulations! Like it, it worked. That's for sure. So um, we stayed focused a lot um, in that that same kind of mindset because day three we didn't have a fish until ten thirty so you know you have to keep that confidence of you've got camera boats and the cameraman and all this stuff but you just had to stay confident because you're throwing at this stuff and you're thinking man the conditions have changed maybe we're wasting our time we need to go run up in a creek or go run to this run to that and you can burn through a tank of fuel very fast and and spin yourself out in 30 seconds i mean it doesn't take long it takes a lot longer to win a tournament than it does to lose one. It's very I like easy. It. That's to good. <laughs> yeah. Um, how? Uh, I guess as far as getting the win, you know, there were some other ETBU teams there. You had some family there. Uh, what's uh, What's the aftermath been like? Uh, like a national championship <laughs> win is not something ETBU had had before, and something neither of you had before either. <laughs> Uh, it's been pretty crazy, honestly, uh, getting back to campus. I mean, we have people, mostly mostly staff and stuff, like they'll come up to us and congratulations, and like we get hugs from random people. And it's pretty cool, though, to be recognized and stuff and to see that it's not just us getting recognition, but the whole team, like, People are. I've I've seen people congratulate other guys on the team, and they'll like they'll point at us and be like, "Well, it was them that won it." But I mean, in reality, the, when we leave, ETBU will still be national champions. Like it's still it's the team's win. So to see people recognizing the whole team for it, and like we're getting a, a team picture taken and hung up next to our other sports uh, national championship pictures. So, I mean, it'll, it's cool to see the the whole team is involved and recognized for the, the win. And the campus. I mean, the campus is support. They've always supported bass fishing as a competitive sport on camp, like part of the competitive sport, even though it's not NCAA, but just to see like, we're going to be hung up with a big poster with boats and fishing rods and jerseys next to all of the sports. And it's, it just makes, and you see all the appreciation from staff and, we have students that are coming up to us and they don't know anything about fishing, but they say, Hey, congratulations on fishing. You won a national championship. You know, it's, they don't have to know anything. They just know the significance of it. And just to be able to be recognized like that. And everybody can appreciate that, that it's something that ETBU's not the ETBU wasn't on the map before, but now it's, it almost proves all of our hard work and it proves the, 
ability that all of the guys on the team and all of the freshmen coming up and all the recruits that are going to come to ETBU in the future. It just proves, hey, we're a national championship program. This is what we can do. You just got to work for it. Yeah, like ETBU, I mean, you guys had a national school of the year title. I think you had at least one conference school of the year title, maybe more. And, like, it's not like it's not like it's some kind of surprise that an ETBU team would win the national championship. But having to act, you know, it being something that would happen and it actually happening are, you know, two different things. So it's awesome to see you got it done. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things that's it's kind of surreal looking back at it because we've talked for because uh, obviously, like you said, we have that national school of the year title and a conference school of the year title, and we've won uh, a couple of conference tournaments and we've won the open before. Like the national championship was the only thing that we hadn't won, and for the last two or three years, there'll be uh, like things that we we ask for as a program, like. A, well, let's go to this tournament. Well, let's have this built. Well, we want some of this. Well, and our coach has always been like, well, if you want those things, win a national title. And uh, <laughs> and it's kind of been that thing that we're like, okay, well, if we win it, then we get these things. And now it's actually happened. And, like, I don't know that we're going to get all the things we asked for. Like, most likely not. But that's not the point. The point is, is for years we've been talking about it, and this that's been the thing that we've been after. Like, if you want this and this to happen, then – do this and the fact that we were the ones that did it and it finally actually happened like I, it still doesn't really seem real like it's kind of set in more now probably as much as it will but it's still just to look back on it and still see like wow we did that we did the thing that has been the goal since the beginning it's just pretty cool it's yeah, funny we'll be awesome we'll be going through social media or, or a link will pop up and it says Major League Fishing College Series, and we'll both – it's kind of funny. We've done it separately and, and just talked about it. We'll look on there and say, oh, cool, somebody won the national championship. And then we scroll through and we look and we're like, wait, why are our, why are our pictures on there? That's weird. And then it's it's kind of just that realization, like, man, we actually did that and we're able to bring that home to East Texas. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what? So you guys are both seniors, uh, your business administration majors, which I have no idea what that means, I'm going to be honest. But, you know – what does like the near future look like for you guys? You qualified for next year's Natty already, I think, based on the Open. Um, so you've got some more college fishing ahead of you. Um, do you want to try to fish as pros? Do you have like some kind of business idea? Like, what's the what's it look like? Do you think? Anyhow? So, so we're both going to be enrolled in the MBA program, getting our masters. So we'll okay. be able to fish through that so we'll be we'll be around for a little bit longer a year and a half so so you'll still see us together but so personally i want to keep going and fishing kind of semi pro or like some toyota series and stuff like that but texas is a good place for that right i i want to keep doing it more as just a just to keep it up and stay competitive but i don't i don't see it as a livelihood for me just because it's I, I've always grown up with business, and I love business and working and and that side of things. So I want to go and start my own business and and run a couple different ideas that I have. But I know yeah. he has some different ideas. I I definitely want to fish pro. Um, I've been. I mean, I've wanted to kind of like the the little kid that has the dream of wanting to fish pro. I've had that 
forever. But really, the last couple of years, it's gotten to be more of a real thing. Like, this is really what I want to do. Getting to travel the country and fish for the school and stuff has made me realize how much I actually enjoy it. And um, then this win shows me that I can, I, I actually can do it. Like, I can, I can have success on places that I'm not familiar with, and I really have a shot if I put my mind to it, you know? And uh, so I plan to, obviously, like he said, stay another year and a half and get my master's and keep fishing college. But as soon as I uh, graduate, I plan to fish some, uh, probably some Toyota series and opens, BFLs, just whatever, whatever I can get in and uh, find a way to afford it. I'm going to fish it. Like I, that's what I really want to do. Cool. Well, I mean, there's a, pretty good track record of like the high flying college guys making it it seems like more more often than it used to be i guess and i would say i mean man winning a national championship is a pretty good start so definitely um i feel like i had another question like kicking around in my head but i can't really remember it um so i guess before i let you guys go like is there any social media you want to plug uh any sponsors you want to thank like this is your time so uh our sponsors are definitely what make all of this possible i mean we wouldn't be able to do it it, it costs so much and you so much equipment that you have to have and things break uh, skeeter is obviously our main sponsor they've been with the program since the very beginning and uh They'll come, or I mean, at the drop of a hat, they'll have us just bring our stuff up there that gets broke, and they'll have it fixed as soon as we need it. And uh, I mean, they provided boats for us. We get new boats every few years, and they've uh, always supported us and had our back. So we really appreciate Skeeter. Uh, and then uh, Elite Elite Tungsten is another sponsor. They supply all of our tungsten, and uh, they always show a lot of support for the team. Um, and then we have some smaller, more local sponsors, and uh, they're just as helpful. We have Symmetry Turf in Mount Pleasant. They're, uh, they, I mean, Lay Turf, uh, obviously that's in the name, but they're a big financial sponsor for us and uh, really helpful. And then Hendrix Rentals is a heavy machinery uh, rental company in Livingston, Texas, and uh, they've had ties to the team for years and uh, also a really big sponsor. So, I mean, you can see in all the pictures, we use the same rods just because we trust the company and we love the company, have a relationship with it. So we use Dobbins rods. Um, they've always been a supporter of us, even in high school. And then we started in college and, you know, I, I reached out with them when we were, we were talking after this win and I was just, you know, overly thankful. Like they supported us when we weren't being successful, when we were having all those bad tournaments and everything. And all of our sponsors do that. It's just, it's just so amazing to see. And we've also got, so 419 Tackle, they do a lot for us. It's, um, that's in Marshall. And Jones Trolling Motor, they keep us on the water with all of our electronics and everything. Um, stuff like that. I mean, all of our sponsors, we couldn't do it without them. They, they keep us on the water, keep us, I mean, safe. The, the wind was definitely, <laughs> brutal so skeeter kept us able to get our fish in the way in um but i mean and definitely etbu i mean they provide the boats the funding the 
opportunities for us to go and do these things. So they're not really a sponsor per se, but they're definitely the biggest sponsor we have, you know, and, and just the, the support, like we've talked about all of the, you know, we've had after, after the win, we've had media teams on us and we've had all this stuff. Like it's any other competitive sport. We, we don't feel like we're a club sport. That's just doing it for fun. It's, we feel like we're collegiate anglers and collegiate athletes that are supporting the team and supporting the school. And it's just such a cool experience. Awesome. Is there like a YouTube video we should be looking for with a bunch of fish catches? Um, well, maybe well, not a bunch of fish Gibson. catches. It was but... Gibson, so no, not a bunch, but <laughs> okay. uh, day three, our GoPro actually messed up and we both kind of looked at each other and decided that it was more, beneficial to try to catch fish than to fool with a gopro so yeah, you did have a tv yeah. camera in the boat at but the we time. also had a tv camera so <laughs> yeah we're hoping he did did his job of doing that but we've got day one and day two footage and a little bit of practice footage um we are definitely fishermen we are not cameramen or editors so if you see it it's going to be you know fish catch black screen fish catch black screen i mean not any of these cool edits that all these guys are doing we're not we're not Brandon Polinick or any of these guys that are, you know, making these cool videos. But we do want to get it out there and show what we do and, and how we do it and kind of just our behind the scenes. So um, my social media is just at Case and Ragsdale, and I think that's for all of them. And mine's Caden.Profit.Fishing. And I'll probably post uh, some of the individual fish catches on my Instagram in the next couple of weeks when we uh, – get a chance i probably won't post a full video but just little clips shoot us a dm we're always ready to talk fishing or sponsorships or how you know <laughs> all right well guys uh thanks for coming on uh you did great and uh man congratulations uh on the win uh being national champs is super cool all right so kyle right out the gate i guess that the abu garcia college fishing national championship is probably the main it's the main thing that you and i have expertise about it's also you know one of the biggest events of the year uh for us and yeah. so i figure we'll start there sound like a plan i uh, yeah i think that's a perfect idea all right well uh i guess the number one takeaway from that was that you probably shouldn't go fish fort gibson in march <laughs> um, <laughs> the number two takeaway was that caden prophet and Cason ragsdale of east texas baptist university caught 43 pounds, 8 ounces for 14 bass over three days of fishing to win the natty. Uh, they won by over three pounds. Um, Donovan Carson and Landon Lawson of King University, that's in East Tennessee, uh, caught 40 pounds, 3 ounces for 13 bass to finish second. Uh, and then McKendry finished third. Stephen F. Austin finished fourth. Kentucky Christian finished fifth. And uh, on down the list, more at MajorLeagueFishing.com. Um, I guess, Kyle, do you have any thoughts, takeaways, or do you want me to just sort of start rambling about how guys caught fish? Yeah, I probably uh, ramble about how guys caught fish because, um, dude, getting getting a bite in this tournament seemed like it was uh, not an easy thing. It, it was essentially an impossible task. Um, there was no team that caught a limit every day they were allowed to fish <laughs> wow um there were a couple of teams there was at least one team i think 
maybe two teams that had a shot to limit multiple days in a row. Like, they had a shot to limit all three days, um, but they didn't. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, like, brutal. I mean, just just look at the last day, right? Fourth place, fifth place, sixth place, all had 11 fish. Seventh place had 13. Eighth place had 8. Ninth had 10. Tenth had 8. Like... Dude, imagine finishing in the top 10 in a national championship and catching eight fish over the course of three days. This is a team tournament. Yeah, yeah. It was Woof. brutal. <laughs> Woof. Um, so, like, when I wrote top 10 baits, like, there was one team that held up a tube that they hadn't caught any keepers on but that they threw. And it's like, on the one hand, why would you do that? On the other hand, I mean, heck... You caught eight keepers the whole tournament. You know, <laughs> you might as well hold something up. Right, right. right. <laughs> um, like, it was just a... It was a terribly tough tournament. Um, yeah. Like, basically... I won't say everyone. There, there was, like... There was a little bit of... There were some differences in the patterns. Uh, the top teams, like, mostly just ground up shallow with... You know, your spinner baits, your chatter baits, your jigs, uh, your square bills, and like, you know, fish kind of staging areas, steeper banks, like places with rock. Fort Gibson, it's got kind of a combo. Like, it's got some really shallow places that are flat and have like some timber or some trees and stuff on them and bushes. And then it's got like some stuff that looks kind of Ozarky, kind of Grand Lakey. Um, you know, it's really very similar to Grand Lake. It seems like just like quite a bit worse. Um, <laughs> cause like, dude, the numbers of fish were just terrible. Um, but like, you know, the guys that caught them, like got it done and, you know, Prophet and Ragsdale, like they had a strategy of fishing slower and fishing more thoroughly. And like, they would spot lock on these points that like, didn't look like you needed to spot lock on them. Like it looked like you should just you know, fish along it for ten for five minutes and be done. And they would spot lock and fish these things for, like, a while and soak and then go down the bank a little ways and fish really slow again. And not that they were really necessarily really slowly, but just fishing extraordinarily thoroughly. Yeah. And they would catch fish, and they won the tournament because of that, you know, because they were targeting good areas and, like, fishing extremely meticulously. Um. It was wild. Yeah, that uh, that, that part of uh, ETBU's pattern, the, the real slow, methodical, but, like, high percentage spots, was kind of the, uh, uh, I guess, most intriguing thing about what they were doing. Um, and, it, hey, and, yeah, if you're only catching, you know, dang four keepers a day, five keepers a day for a team tournament, like, you might as well kill a half hour on a really good-looking point, you know? You're not, it's not really hurting you. Yeah, I mean, it really wasn't. Like, it wasn't like you were going to move somewhere else really quickly and necessarily go catch one, you know? Yeah. Like, if you left fish to find fish, the, uh, the possibility of you finding fish was pretty slim, just <laughs> based on the weights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then in second, King University, they kind of stuck to, like, 
a little bit more, uh, like, basically some deeper stuff. Uh, some more docks. They actually caught a few fish on a drop shot. Um, they caught some fish on a jig. Uh, and, you know, they were still fishing rock, and they were still fishing sort of those staging banks, but they they were staying away from the flatter stuff and fishing more steeper things. Um, Prophet and Ragsdale, like, they were kind of fishing... They were fishing flatter stuff. They were fishing points. They were fishing some smaller, like, some shallower breaks leading into spawning areas. They kind of stayed away from, like, actual channel swing banks and stuff like that. Oh. Um, so, uh, it's definitely, like, it, it was definitely kind of a... It was a different pattern. That's a not that different. Like, what they did was extremely similar to what the Messer brothers did. It was similar to what the Carr twins did. Like, there was only... The, the two probably stand out, like, kind of quote, different patterns in the top ten. Well, three, let's say. Uh, one was Drury University, Cole Breed and Cameron Smith. Uh our reigning defending champions. Uh, I guess no longer defending, but they were, or reigning, but they were prior to this event. Yep. Um, they caught 21 pounds, nine ounces on day two after catching like two pounds on day one. It was truly a feat. <laughs> yeah, um, no kidding. Like, honestly, like incredible stuff. Like, absolute highlight of the tournament. If they had won, I mean, which they had a chance to win, let's be real, with how bad the fishing was. Like, all if they had caught another 21 pounds, I assume that they would have won. Oh, yeah. Um, it would have been, like, the most epic comeback of all time. Um, they <laughs> caught their fish on a jerkbait and a jig and one on a drop shot, and they were fishing brush with live scope. Like, oh, and they were the only team, as far as I can tell, that effectively caught fish out of brush with live scope. Dang. So somebody had to do it, but they were the only ones that managed to do it. Sure. Um, the other probably interesting pattern was the second ETBU team in the top ten, Cannon Bird and Jacob Keith. They basically were fishing like a backwater creek that had an inflow in it, like they were going way back. It was small. It was like a very unique location. Um, and they just threw chatterbaits in it. Like they weren't doing anything particularly wild in the creek, but they had a very different loca locale from anyone else in the tournament. I what? think if the water had stayed higher um, and they had had a little more inflow into that creek, they probably would have had a chance to win. Dang. Um it, it seemed like, based on in practice, like, things were going really well. Was that the team uh, you guys were having issues, like, wherever they were was, like, a, just a really bad cell service part of the lake? No. That oh. was the the uh, bottom of the lake by the dam uh, where King University was fishing. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, no, these guys, great cell service. Uh the other probably most interesting pattern, and I one, I got to watch it some, and two, it's like just fascinating stuff. Uh, the Stephen F. Austin team 
Austin Anderson, Cal Cameron. Austin Anderson, by the way, carp guide. Oh yeah, uh, on Lake Fork is probably one of the most interesting people at the tournament. I mean, just <laughs> fascinating. He spent like eight years in college before he finally graduated, <laughs> um, and uh, he is like actually an amazing carp guide um, and smallmouth buffalo guide. Um, he's inspired me personally. Well, uh, yeah. But anyway, they were they were fishing like bushes and trees and like basically there wasn't that much stuff in the water because the river or the lake was sort of dropping throughout. But they were fishing a jig and a spinnerbait in bushes and trees and things like that. And they caught them on day one around cypress trees. On day two. They switched off the cypress trees and they went to essentially like bushes and willow trees and stuff like that. Kind of like what you see at Grand, you know, and they caught them in there. And then day three, I think they only caught two fish and I watched them catch both of them in the morning before like 930. It was like 30 degrees, eh, 35 degrees and freezing. And they were catching these fish in like six inches of water on spinner baits and jigs and i was like oh my god they're gonna win this and then they didn't catch another <laughs> fish all day <laughs> um but what they had going was like pretty epic until it got too cold and the fish just were like we hate this we're done enough <laughs> um which i guess the weather being super bad was kind of a uh kind of a, a point of this tournament it sucked <laughs> yeah and i mean do you think like that had to be a factor i i know uh fort gibson not like a uh you know super great lake in terms of catching uh a lot of numbers of fish but you know if we had beautiful warm weather all three days of the events these kids would have smashed them a little better and limits probably would have been more of a commonplace thing than they turned out to be. Yeah, I think so. I I mean, they actually, day one was warm and extremely windy. And I think that had it been warm and like a moderate amount of wind, they probably would have caught them pretty decent because day one actually was pretty good. Um, It was okay. Uh, Day two, it was cold. It was windy and very wet and it was not very good fishing. Day three was cold, somewhat windy, and it actually snowed for a period of time. And they really did not bite very well on day three. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, 20% better weather would have absolutely shown, you know, shown the lake a little bit better. Um, but it was also just a tough scenario because, like, they, they were there and the water was dropping. It had come up, apparently in practice, like, you know, guys were catching quite a few fish in bushes. And yep. as it dropped, that bite, you know, went away for basically everyone but SFA. And, uh, you know, it didn't, like, it didn't end up being uh, particularly, it didn't end up being easy for anyone. You know, even the guys that won. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, notably, I guess, and I, you know, if we had the, uh, if we had ETBU on ahead of this, we'll have talked about it already, but notably they, um, ETBU like has been really good 
lately. This is the first national championship at any, you know, collegiate level. Because obviously there's a bunch of different college tournaments that they have won. Uh, which is cool for them, big for them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess that's about all I've got from Fort Gibson. I'm. It's a kind of a cool lake. I'm n- in no hurry to leave Vermont to go fish it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it definitely... I think if the fishing had been like 20% better, it would have been a very memorable, good national championship because it was like very close and interesting and the weather was uh, terrible. (laughs) Um, But as is, it's one that I, you know, for the fishing and for the weather, I want to forget it. For the competition, it was a good one. Yep. Yep. Um, But yeah, that's, uh, that's the wrap there. I can dig that. Do you want um, to uh, do you want to talk about a tournament we also just had where the fishing was like pretty dope? Uh, Kyle, the fishing was beyond dope. This tournament <laughs> that we're about to talk about this. The fishing was perfect. This was basically my favorite kind of fishing in the world, as far as I can tell. Yeah, uh, of course, you know, folks probably assume, but we're talking about the Toyota Series event, the Central Division on Dale Hollow that just wrapped up. And, uh, I mean, the guy smashed them. Absolutely smashed them. Um, almost everyone in the top ten was using forward-facing sonar to some extent. And, for the most part, just bombing around little swim baits. Like a, uh, well, I guess we'll generalize it and just say like a three-inch-ish swim bait, depending on brand. Um and there were some other variations mixed in there, but uh, it, it was pretty apparent, I think, on day one that, like, a lot of these guys that caught them caught them all in the same areas and were kind of fishing around each other. Uh, the ultimate winner of this tournament was Jack Daniel Williams. Uh, caught 64 pounds, 10 ounces uh, over the course of three days. Leading the first two days was, uh, I- I'm going to say young, most of these dudes that were in the top 10, fairly young, uh, kind of fresh faces. Bill Taylor, <laughs> Bill Taylor called me about it, and he was like, these kids are all less than 20. I'm like, well, I don't know if they're that young. <laughs> but, yeah, they were. it was a notably youthful top 10. <laughs> Dude, it really was. And uh, Bailey Gay led the first two days. Um, he had, like, 21-13 on day one, 21-9 on day two. Uh, a bunch of dudes just caught like 21 pounds uh, kind of back to back to back. Austin Swindle was in there. Um, Jack Daniel Williams also uh, part of that 21 pound gang on the final day. Um, dudes kind of like just kept catching them. Bailey slipped. Uh, he wound up catching 16, 12 Jack Daniel Williams caught 21, 13 uh, to bring it home. But I mean like on the final day, Kevin Drake caught 22, Tristan Abbott caught 23. Uh, Nick Ratliff, the man, the myth, the legend, caught 23-9. Um, Seth Davis caught 22. Like, dude smashed him. Andrew Benke caught 21. Like, it it was just pretty phenomenal fishing throughout the entire event. If you were doing that um, open water uh, forward-facing sonar deal. Yeah. Uh, and it was pretty impressive that, you know, a lot of those guys weighed some over smallmouths too. 
Uh, that's kind of the thing I feel like we've seen before on Dale Hollow where dudes catch, you know, the weights don't reflect how good the fishing actually was because people have to throw those uh, small mouths that fall in the slot back. And so you wind, you wind up throwing back like a, you know, 20-pound bag of fish uh, because all your four-pound small mouths you're not allowed to keep. Uh, or three whatever pounders. So uh, the largemouth showed out for sure. Uh, I think that was a pretty good chunk of what guys weighed in but a lot of these top guys uh did have an over small mouth which was pretty impressive which is 21 inches or bigger uh i guess for those curious and uh yeah also oh go ahead oh no i was just gonna say that's that's kind of the end of that what are your thoughts oh well i was gonna say one thing worth noting is this is another gigantic tournament there were like 290 people in it or something like that yeah 286 i think is what it was um, yeah huge field it was yeah, seventy-one thousand. Well, it was, it was seventy thousand for the winnings for uh, Jack Daniel. Uh, Fifteen hundred uh, with like a some Mercury money there. So a pretty huge payout. Did you know if he'd been running a Phoenix, he would have won over a hundred thousand for uh, sixteen. Is it seventeen hundred eight for? A sub two thousand dollar entry fee, um, yeah, which would be you know truly incredible. Uh, he's probably good for like at least all summer on gas now. Uh, <laughs> Bare minimum, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe even get through the fall. <laughs> Power him uh, um, through the Toyota Series Championship at least. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but anyway, that is uh, it. It was. Uh, another big field. I am interested, like, I, I don't always want the story of, like, what happened for 23rd place. But, like, Blake Hall, right? He should be able to figure out this deep thing, right? Yeah. He caught two on the final day. Kiriyama, like, notably caught suspended smallmouth offshore to win an Elite Series event on Lake Erie. Caught <laughs> two. On the final day. Um, what is, like, uh, Mickey Beck, super offshore angler, right? All about live scope. Caught three. Yep. Like, what is going on with, like, there was a real disparity between hey. the top, let's say, eight guys and, well, top eight, top nine, top ten, and the people below them. Yeah, this was uh, this was one I really wish... Uh, you or I would have been at because just in the little bit of talking uh, with our guys that covered the tournament, it, it seemed like maybe it was just too much pressure. Like a lot of these guys that caught these bags, um, some of them were catching a fair amount of fish every day. Some of them weren't though. Like you really had to keep working on, um, you know, throwing that individual fish you saw or or getting back on a wolf pack that was suspended around those shad. Um, and I think there was a lot of pressure in several of these areas that these guys were catching them. So I don't know if, like, maybe just... Yeah, I mean, there were photos of, like, guys literally in the top ten fishing within sight of each other. Yeah, like a couple cast lengths uh, yeah. almost apart. So that was kind of my first reaction, because that's a really good point. Like, hey, what, 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 what's up? What gives on the final day uh, with some of those guys? But I... I just have to think some of it would come down to, uh, you know, 
pressure or just maybe even getting almost boxed out uh, of an area where, you know, there was a school of fish that slid into and you just couldn't really get to them effectively through everyone. Maybe those fish after three days of getting pinged around with mega live and active target and live scope were like, okay, enough of this. Yeah. The other thing I want to do is I want to shout out Mark Condren, uh, former Virginia Tech teammate, uh, made a top 20. Yeah. Um, onward and upward. Uh, Mark is like legitimately, he's really good. Uh, and I want to see him have more success. Because um, he finished 218th at Gunnersville, which is not ideal. Yeah, not not a good uh, but start. Anyhow. But rebound. Good rebound. Yeah, it can be done, uh, for sure. Um, I guess that's probably probably a pretty solid wrap on on this event. Yeah, you were uh, you were pretty impressed with uh, the amount of guys throwing like a, uh, I don't know, like a pill head with a big eyeball jig head. Basically, tons of these dudes in the top ten were throwing a VMC moon eye, which I think uh, became most famous in the bass world for like a Demiki rig jig head, pretty light wire hook. You know, fish is real vertical, you know, 90-degree line tie, uh, balances nicely. But a lot of these dudes are throwing, like, swim baits on it. Uh, maybe it's just because it's got a light wire hook on it. I don't know. But it, it was kind of weird. I noticed that when I was flipping through top 10 bait photos. I was like, yo, what is going on? I just assumed all these guys Demiki rig all winter, and they already had it tied on. And they're like, well, I'll just put a swim bait on it and carry on. Yeah, I and I, I asked I asked Ratliff about it. I was like, "So, what's the deal?" Because you saw these top ten baits, like everyone mm-hmm. is doing big eyes, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it makes a difference. I don't <laughs> think it does." And so we need to d- dive into this a little more because to me, like I think there's a lot of other jig heads that would work just as well. In my head, like, I don't, I mean, I, I, I'm i not sure. Like, look at Gussie, right? Dude is incredible at this. And he doesn't throw a jig head like that. He throws a jig head that looks like a guppy head. It's like the Smell Delicious jig head or whatever that uh, Brian Gustafson makes. Yeah, you know? but maybe Gussie did before that was invented. The Smeltinator, sorry, uh, is what it's called. Because Gussie's always uh, been a Northland guy, and Northland Tackle has made jigs like that before. So maybe Gussie used one before uh, the Smeltinator came around. Uh, I get, yes, but what I'm saying is, so Gussie switched to the Smeltinator, right? The Dirty Jigs Guppy Head from Matt Steffen is a dead-on copy of the Smeltinator. Sure, it, sure. I think it even has the same hook. You know, what... What would prevent uh, someone in this top ten from using that? <laughs> you know, like yeah, I'm, fair point. I uh, I think we need to have Gussie on. We need to have everyone else in the top ten on, and we need to talk about this for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> Dedicated podcast. Look, I I'm Is, all for yeah. it. Do eyes matter? Is it 
is it just that it needs to be round? What's the deal? Is it the weight? Need, is, there, is it about having no lead on the hook? One thing I thought of, and this could be totally off base, is I think LiveScope tends to pick up hard targets better than soft targets. Like, so I was thinking maybe having all that lead concentrated at the front makes it easier to see on LiveScope than having it distributed throughout the shank. Oh, but sure. The reaction from Nick didn't lead me to believe that at all. So <laughs> I think that maybe I just had a great idea that turns out to not matter. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be. I wonder, I, I'm still kind of curious about, um, I'm actually just looking it up right now. Well, I guess it depends on what size. No, it wouldn't really. I was going to say, I wonder if hook size uh, matters, but that could be like these these are very small plastics right like you yeah. need a probably for most of them you need a one-aught or two-aught hook like a three-aught is not going to fly yeah um, the so the, maybe the vmc a, moon eye that most of these guys were using in the top 10 yeah in a also there's a do it is a two-aught yeah um let's see let me check the guppy head because the guppy has a three-aught or a one-aught option for most weight sizes yeah um, and that one knot is perfect for a small bait sure uh, so really there's no discrepancy like, there i guess is what what our yeah, little the, bit the of one research fits has shown. a 2.8 kitech beautifully yeah which is like the three out fits a five inch bait beautifully um, yeah i think the smallest thing um someone threw was like the baby z2 uh from like a Demiki kind of standpoint um yeah well, maybe the like ned bomb a lot of uh andrew oh, banky yeah, was forgot about the ned that. Bomb. yeah um but yeah it was really it was interesting to see that i was like what is going on here um so anyway now we i don't know if we know anything but we've seen it and we will continue to try to learn more also, shout out to uh, Seth Davis for catching some on a jig and wrap. Yeah, baby. It's very uh, um, Cody Huff of him. Well, that brings me to my next point. Let's say that Jacob Wheeler, Michael Neal, Cody Huff, Spencer Sheffield are in this tournament. Oh. Do you think that they win, or do you think that these local live scope aces can beat them out? Ooh, man, great question. I, I mean, I would have to think... Um, I would have to think these local dudes could could hold their own. I mean, Tristan Abbott's been tearing it up on Dale Hollow for the last, like, month. Dude won a BFL, yes. got, like, third or fourth in another BFL, finished third well, in this Well, won AOI last year, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, I think they could probably hold their own. That being said, um, you know, I could also see that crew you mentioned uh, – piecing it together throughout the tournament and maybe even like you know catching 22 on day one catching 23 on day two like their weights would be like a hair above and uh it, not only do we have to have now a podcast about jig head selection we now need to have a one-off tournament with those guys and the top 10 back on dale hollow uh to really see who the best forward-facing sonar uh fisherman is 
this This time should of be year. a cup event. They do all sorts of weird things for yeah. cup events. You can Let's only... do it. This is Yeah, you get four rods. Um You get four rods, you can't cast unless you see a fish. <laughs> and <laughs> and yes. uh, it's um four rods, only one graph on the bow. And it's <laughs> gotta be and it's it's only one graph. It has to be on the bow. It has to have live scope or active target or mega live if you want. Uh and then <laughs> It, uh, yeah, that would be, that's what we'll do. Yep. I love it. I'm all for it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because, man, what an epic live scope tournament. Uh, if you are a live scope hater, sorry about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> was Randy Blockett in this tournament? Please tell me he was in this tournament. <laughs> I don't think he was. It looks like he was not. Um, I don't think I know of any other people in here who are like, you know, really, really strongly anti live scope. So, I, I guess I can't. I, I guess I don't know. There's probably some people in this though who really hate live scope now. Yo, Casey Martin was in this tournament. Finished 156th. Uh, that's not ideal. A lot of Gunnersville no. guides did pretty bad in this tournament. Jim Leary, 161st. Um, yeah. Also, Casey uh, O'Donnell, 174th. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Adam Wagner finished 105th. I am really getting the sense that if you tried to fish not for live scope fish, you basically sucked. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Lee was in this. He finished 89th. Had a great day one, too. He had, like, almost 16 pounds. Uh, Day two caught three fish for 5'9". Yeah. Yo, so... Matt Allen fished this tournament. The Matt Allen. Well, I don't think it's the Matt Allen because he also fished Abu Garcia College Fishing in 2015 on Hartwell. Ah, different a Matt, Matt Allen. Allen. <laughs> a Matt Allen. Yeah. Uh, Blake Tomlin, uh, who did so well in the All-American last year, fishing on an aluminum boat, 214th. He caught Ooh. three bass. Um. Oh, Steve Floyd, father of Cole Floyd, uh, caught four. Well, tournament. yeah, that, I mean, flip and bite just wasn't there. Between him finishing where he did and Wagner finishing a hundred and something. Yeah, Brennan Cord, Brennan McCord, former All-American champ, 235th. Oh, yeah. Okay, but get this, Mark Rose from Wynn, Arkansas. The Mark Rose, 239th. Hmm. Bro. Dude, Mark Rose is going to need to fish more tournaments to make that. He Because he's Rose is, like, fishing to make the championship. He's going to need to – he won't be able to make it out of the Central Division. He'll have to make it out of the wild card. He'll have to do what he did last year. Yep. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe that's his – maybe that's his M.O. Well, it's going to be now. Because <laughs> <laughs> no I'm pretty sure you can't sustain a 234th place finish. Uh, no matter how did how good he did in the first one. <laughs> yeah, I would say not. Uh, yeah, anyway, dude, Dale Hollow, just a fascinating tournament. Wish I had been there. Yeah, super um, cool. Absolutely. Uh, Redcrest. Um, Redcrest, congrats uh, to be had to Mr. Bobby Lane. Dude. So, uh, we can talk about the fishing a little bit. I My favorite part of the tournament was in the expo on the final day. For like the last, let's say, 25 minutes of the tournament, you could hear a pin drop in there. And like, 
there was a pretty good crowd. Not, like, packed out or anything, but, like, quite a few people. And everyone was just literally watching a screen and, like, breathless because it was so close. Yeah. And then when Bobby caught that last two-pounder, the place, like, exploded. And then when he actually won, the place exploded again. Like, (laughs) it was so cool. I was in, like, the media area, and it's, like, me and several other people that work there. And then, like, uh, who's that guy who sends that bass fishing newsletter? Um, uh, Jay Jay Kumar. Kumar. And somebody else. And then, like, literally Kevin Van Dam, like, one table over. And Van Dam was, like, explaining to us how many times Bobby could weigh the fish and why he hadn't got a penalty when the fish hit the camera. And... Which is a pretty rare thing and, like, kind of cool to have Kevin Van Dam explain to you <laughs> yeah, for the real. rules. Uh, like, not, I'm not saying everyone got that experience, but it was incredible. Like, one of the... I wasn't at the Classic this year. I have to imagine it was a similarly exciting ending to that. What I went to was that cup that Gagliardi won. Like, oh, yeah. It was like that level of close and down to the wire, except, you know, it's different because you're in an expo and it's happening at the lake versus you're in an expo and it's happening right there. Yeah. Yep. It was really cool. Like, the Bass Pro Tour format, like, I think you and I both think that there are some downsides to it. This was, like, the peak of the format, as far as I can tell. Oh, yeah, man. Like, I... I, uh, I pulled pulled live back up <clears throat> like you said probably half hour uh maybe a little more before that uh before the end because i was like well i better see who uh who brings this bad boy home you know and then it, it went from me thinking i was going to casually be watching it uh on my computer to like glued and uh like you said no no sound no uh you know like nothing distracting me it was just me staring at the screen like holy crap Holy crap. <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah, it was amazing. Um, yeah, that's cool. I forgot, because uh, you got in early because the college registration was um, that day, correct? That's why you were at the uh, the expo? Yeah, yeah. So I went on, I went, so I got in on, tournament ended Sunday, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I got in on Saturday. Uh, I flew in. And then I uh, got in Saturday. I went to the expo. It was pretty busy on Saturday. Then Sunday morning I went to takeoff because I had never been to a Bass Pro Tour takeoff before. So I thought, well, I might as well go. Might as well. Um, and it was just like a takeoff. I didn't. I, I, I come I came away being like, well, I've been to takeoff before and I also went to another one. <laughs> uh, and then um, I went to the expo for that college thing because I had to go and they had like the registration there and then they were supposed to wander around for a while. Then they had the meeting after the tournament was over. Then they could either split and go home or like stay and celebrate with the champion when they got there. I think most of the guys split and like went back to the lake. Uh, I'm guessing. So anyway, I, I was there for all that. Like I'm not a big expo guy. Like 
literally the last fishing tournament expo I went to before this was that was like an indoors kind of big deal. It would have been either like a cup thing that I had to work, or it would have been the classic at New Orleans. Oh, that sure. Van Dam won, which like I was in college then, so I don't know. If you like expos, I think it was probably a good expo. <laughs> if you would rather go fishing, you know, there wasn't anything there that was like so amazing to me that I am going to make sure I always go back, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> you know? Right. But I mean, if expos are your thing, I think you would have had a good time. Uh, yeah, it seemed fine. You're you're not the, uh, I would say the, not, I, I won't say like people person, but lots of people in one room, uh, when there's fishing to be had or you could be fishing instead of standing near them, uh, it's not, not a Jody thing or yeah, it no, it's not. It's like pretty firmly, like not necessarily really up my alley. I enjoyed it cause I got to see some people who I haven't got to see. You know, I got to see Ryan Salzman. I got to see Jeremy lawyer, oh, you yeah. know, I don't it. ever get to see those guys anymore. Yep. Yep. Um, but you know, outside of that, it was not, you know, a game changer for me. That said, if you like expos, I think it was a fine expo. Uh, it seemed like the people were like pretty happy with it. You know, I talked to like a couple of vendors and stuff like that. It seemed like it was going two expectations are better than expectations, which I think is, was probably really important. Um, but, uh, and then the tournament itself, I thought was like pretty cool. Um, it was especially cool to see Bobby Lane, like, switch to flipping a jig and yeah. start catching them behind docks on a jig, which is, like, so Grand Lake, and then beat out a bunch of live scope guys on the <laughs> final day. Like, yep. oh, it's beautiful. Yep. Like, as as excited and hyped as about live scope and Dale Hollow as I got, I am 100, I'm capable of getting 110% excited about... Bobby Lane whooping up on a bunch of guys trying to live scope them <laughs> with like old school techniques. And I bet there's a lot of other dudes who are like, yeah, finally one for the big sticks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was cool. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I have any other red crest stuff. Uh, I like Bobby Lane. I think he will probably be a really good champion. Um, he seems to like have been pretty fired up about it. Well, and you know, we saw like last year he was just rocking and rolling, you know, and, and um, just came so close to Angler of the Year and um, so close to the title. So you know, for him to get this uh, this year, I think is uh, kind of cool because you're like, gosh, he was just. It's like Michael Neal winning, you know, finally winning a pro circuit or winning that Bass Pro Tour last year or AOI. Like, dude's been close for a while. Bobby was on such a rock and roll uh, that it seems only fitting that he would win this year's Red Crest. Yeah. And, like, you know, the fact that he won uh, after coming so close so many times last year. Like, this year he hasn't really been particularly close. He's had, like, a pretty not great year. Yep. Not a, Well, he's had an okay year. Until now. Now it's great. But, like, last year, man, it seemed like he should have won, like, five tournaments. Uh, yeah, seriously. Um, 
and uh, he never did. I think he got beat by Wheeler by, like, literally ounces or something at Travis. And, you know, he was, like, in the hunt for double Angler of the Year titles for a while. And to see him, like, come back this year and win the big one is extremely cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyhow, should we talk BFLs? We you should. Know, because we love talking BFLs. Man, there was a billion of them. <laughs> there okay, was a well, billion of them. I don't even have them pulled up, so I'm just going to let you let it rip. And uh, I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, I guess no real particular order to this, but uh, Stanley Hunt won the Gator Division event on Lake Okeechobee. Uh, he had 23 pounds, 13 ounces. And uh, get this. Dude cut him on a spook. I'm oh, talking baby. big ones, crushing a spook. Um he basically like the area he says he fished they were spawning earlier in the week and then during the tournament they weren't uh but the first fish he caught was a six and a half then he caught a five and uh he was like yeah this will work <laughs> just kept Dude, catching why them. is it we never go to florida when they're catching them on spooks i know it's what uh we've always heard so much about never get to go there and here it is dude's just crushing them also uh, shout out to the greatest McMillan, Dylan, uh, third place with 21-4. So. Yeah, baby. These Rock other McMillans, roll. they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they, they don't know Get nothing here, about catching bass. <laughs> um, moving on, uh, we had a Piedmont Division event on Smith Mountain Lake. Luke Nichols won it with 24 pounds, 6 ounces. Crushed um, him. I saw this one. On a jig too, right? On a jig, yeah. Um, he uh, twenty four is big for Smith Mountain, dude. I know, very capable. But I mean, he destroyed second place was like nineteen pounds or something like that. Um, yeah, dude, that was he dope. caught a seven eleven uh, at two <sighs> o'clock. So he he also says it was probably one of the most epic bites I've ever had in my life. I would definitely not argue with that. Uh. Yeah, if I caught a 7-Eleven at 2 o'clock in a tournament, I would think that was pretty epic as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, pretty much caught him on a jig. Um, he does say he was using live scope uh, to make specific casts uh, at targets that bass were holding on as they staged in the pre-spawn. If I'm kind of rearranging some wording in this uh, this article. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a dang good Smith Mountain bag. Holy cow. Plus a 7-Eleven? Dang! Yeah. And, like, a lot of times you would expect a bag like that to come either during the spawn sight fishing or right now slash during the spawn on a big swim bait. And, yes. you know, he did it on a jig, which is really cool. Because there can be a really good big swim bait bite, as we've seen from Skeet Reese and in other tournaments. And there can be yep. a really good sight fishing bite on Smith Mountain. For sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, that was, that was cool. Uh, let's, uh, let's see. Uh, I guess moving on from there, we had a Mississippi division event on Lake Grenada and Dakota Fleming won that with 14 pounds, nine ounces. Um, basically he, it seems like he just flipped around a yum Christie craw. Uh, and more specifically caught six of his seven keepers in a bush that had a floating tree kind of like stuck in it 
Uh, so, you know, whatever, piece of wood just floating on top, hung in the bush. And uh, he said, if you could pitch under the tree, not in the bush, you'd get bit. So uh, pretty magic little uh, piece of shrubbery to, uh, you know, take home the top spot. No, no doubt. Um, also, kind of looks like Jer- or uh, not Jeremy Lawyer. Kind of looks like. Um, why can I not think of this person's name? Jimmy Washam, like just slightly more rounded. Do you get that vibe <laughs> at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that. <laughs> okay. Oh, also, side note: great hat. Oh, fantastic hat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dakota, you're doing it right. Moving on, we had a Cowboy Division event on Sam Rayburn. Blake Schroeder won it, 23 pounds, 4 ounces. A um, little bit of everything going on here. Caught some on a Carolina rig with a Big Bite Baits Pro Lizard. Uh, caught a big one on a 6 cents Cloud 9 C15. It was like a 7.5 pounder. And then he caught some fish on beds um, on just a, I don't know, he says a 3-inch Big Bites, Big Bite Bait Soft Plastic. Uh, primarily fish north of the 147 bridge, so uh, I don't know if it was like the canyons area. I don't know if he was running around like uh, deer stand somewhere up there. Probably one of those two is where he caught him. If I'm just making an assumption, but uh, yeah, pretty uh, seems pretty standard Texasy, right? Like you wait, wait some on a Carolina rig, wait some on a crankbait, catch them on a bed this time of year. Bada bing, bada boom, winning derbies. Yeah. What? So, do you think that? Um, I guess probably Castledine wasn't in this because he was probably at the open. At the open. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it could have been like right up his alley because I mean we know that man can sight fish. Oh yeah. But anyway, he wasn't there, so whatever. No, but Tater Reynolds got second. Uh, <sighs> Tater, big def- fan. Yeah, definitely one of the coolest names out there. Uh, Cameron Madison. Right up there with Zebulon. Zebulon. <laughs> right. Fished in the college natty. Uh, Cameron Golly. Madison, pro circuit rookie, tied for fourth. Dickie Newberry, uh, yet another Sam Rayburn top 10. And uh, also shout out Jason Bonds uh, coming in with the top 10. Not really a surprise there, but, you know, good shout out. Also, uh, Madison caught a 9-10 for uh, Big Fish. That's big. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty big. That's one. big. Uh, Coangler big fish was nine seven, so you know they were wow. they were chewing. Um, oh my goodness, is are these just more BFLs? I just keep closing tabs when I'm done, and, and they're still. Let me tell you, Kyle. There's a lot of BFLs. You want me to pick up this Lake Mitchell one? You can, yeah, sure, man. You can dive in. All right, so uh, Lake Mitchell, um, Kyle Dorsett. Uh, won it he had 15 7 uh kyle like crushes them in alabama uh kind of low-key if i'm uh thinking of the right kyle um they had a fog delay and um he like says he picked up a jig and went fishing (laughs) um as far as like what he threw that at literally no idea but he threw a jig it's kind of, it's a Coosa, Mitchell's like a Coosa River kind of situation, so I have to imagine there was a little current involved. Um, he had 15-7 second place. Chad Hall had 13-1, so uh, 
Kyle really kind of knocked it out of the park, um, if you uh, think about it that way. And, oh, for uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, Kyle's he's won three BFLs, um, mostly on the uh, Coosa River. So I guess I'm, to some degree, remembering his excellence correctly. You do have a steel trap. Yeah, baby. <laughs> you know it. Um, uh, Table Rock? We, Table we Rock. had two at Table Rock. Yeah, we had a back-to-backer. Uh, I think it was a reschedule. Uh, yeah, one of them they moved because it was like going to be icy or snowy yeah. or something. So Ozark Division, uh, Table Rock on Saturday, uh, the first one, uh, Justin Garner won it with 21 pounds, 13 ounces. Uh, basically throwing an A-rig on the lower end of the lake, like down around the dam. Uh, I kind of wish I knew what he caught. You know what I mean? Like a like a species rundown, but I don't. And that's really all the info I have for you. Uh, the one probably biggest takeaway from this is Justin uh, Garner runs a Phoenix and got the contingency money, so he won $13,000 uh, at this BFL, which is... Oof. There's two takeaways from this. This was also a double full field BFL. So there were, I think, 230 boats in both of these. Oof. Dang. So Saturday, Sunday, 230 boats fishing BFLs on Dale Hollow. Uh, I would like to give a shout out to Travis Harriman, uh, who finished fourth. Uh, super cool dude. He top 10 at the Lake of the Ozarks Toyota Series, the Plains Division uh, I covered. And, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. So there we go. That's all I have to say. Okay. I have some shout outs for day two of this tournament. Uh, also notably weights quite a bit better on day one than day two. Yeah. Which I guess like kind of makes sense. Right. But, uh, yeah. And I don't know what the conditions were too. Like it could have been some, you know, it could have been windier or calm or whatever, but yeah. 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 Um, day two was Landon Edwards uh, winning, caught 19 pounds and an ounce. Um, Says he caught a pile of fish. Yeah, live scoping. um, Caught some on a jerkbait and uh, a small Kitek. I guess, I don't know what it is. He didn't specify. And a jig and shad wrap. Uh, Which is impressive that he used the jig and shad wrap and not just the regular jigging wrap. Uh, But... You know, whatever. Fish were suspended There's a really over nice 100 feet of water. Um, so. Go on. Oh, so he said he caught 30 bass over three pounds. Um, wherever they were blowing holes in the bait fish is where I was catching them. I rolled up early to my spot where I knew they were loaded, made a cast, and caught a five-pounder, then caught a few more good ones. The sun came up, and they got a little finicky, so I started throwing the little Kitek and hitting him in the face with it, and they just couldn't resist it. How mm. beautiful is that? Mm. Magic. Um, so yeah, that was pretty dope. Uh, shoutouts on this one: Cole Breeden, eighth place, just rolling back top ten at the Natty. Like I'm going home. Come, comes back up, busts out the live scope, makes it happen again. Boom. Jeremy Lawyer, fifteenth place, baby. Woo. Uh, Jeremy actually got a check in the first one, and then I texted him. I was like, "Yo, sixty third. Did you forget how to catch five big ones?" <laughs> he like actually didn't do that good, and. Uh, then he came back in style on day two, and I <laughs> let him know that I was uh, proud of him. Also, uh, Eric Oliverson caught him too. He tied for tenth. Yeah, it was, dude. 
it looked like a really fun weekend of fishing in the Ozarks. I mean, I think that probably it was a good one. Oh, yeah. But uh, I also kind of think that the, like, I think that there could be a place for these two-day BFLs, like, a little more often. You know, the back-to-backers, like, not terrible. Kind of no. fun. Yeah. Um, and it's not like the same guy necessarily is going to win both times, because if you look, like, there's a pretty good fluctuation in who did well, who didn't, stuff like that. For sure. Um, so anyway, that would be, that's just, a, I guess, a side note on that front. Uh, what else do we have? Did we get them all? Are we yeah, done? I think, no, I think we're, we, we're, stick a fork in us, we're done with BFLs. All right, now what if we have a couple extra secret BFLs? What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, at any moment, I'm just waiting for something to pop up my computer and be like, yo, you missed these other six BFLs. Like, well, I guess I did. What? Uh, I kind of lost you there for a second, Upcoming? but honestly. Yeah, so we've got some stuff to, I guess, mostly note. One, the heavy hitters event is going on, uh, Lake Palestine or Palestine or maybe something else. It's in Texas. Um, Bass Pro Tour event with kind of a different field and some really big payouts for big fish. Watch it. There's also two Toyota Series events going on probably at the same time. <laughs> and depending on when we put this out, like, it could... That could change a little bit, I guess. That might be a little dated, but... One's at Santee Cooper, one's at Lake Texoma. There's supposed to be some, like, pretty nasty wind... Uh, for both of them. So there's kind of a non-zero chance stuff could get canceled and or moved around or something. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we don't look too stupid after saying that. Uh, but anyway, I guess be aware of it. Um, and then I'm sure we have a full slate of BFLs and other stuff going on because we got to have tournaments, man. <laughs> Tis the season. Uh what else should we talk about, Kyle? Because um, we have been fishing. Uh, really, I guess the time is ours now to just meander. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, I actually went bass fishing. So maybe that maybe that's what we lead off with. Uh, I was in a bass boat on open water, and I caught largemouth. So, you know. Tell me about it, man. Basically crushing it. Well, uh, my buddy Chad that I fished the tournament with here last summer was like, yo, what are you doing Sunday? Love Chad. I'm fishing, man. Where are we going? So we headed south uh, to a little, I mean, almost every lake around here is little. And uh, we were just kind of like, you know, going to have fun. It was like water temp. It was super cold last week around here. So the water temps were like 46, 47, which is actually warmer than we thought it would be. And... uh, we caught them we kind of started out on some like some rock stuff uh at the mouth of two of these big like pockets that a lot of the fish would spawn in uh kind of some offshore stuff right like uh that i don't know 15 8 to 15 feet of water the lake's not super deep but there's kind of like some uh most of it's man-made structure too right like uh they dump piles of concrete around or you know you'll have brush and stuff like that and wasn't a whole lot going on so we got like halfway back in the pocket and um i caught like a two and three quarter on a spinnerbait half ounce spinnerbait like rolling it kind of along the edge of a little rock jetty 
and the water was like 47.4, like slightly warmer than where we were, right? And then Chad caught one on a jerkbait, and uh, then there's kind of some, uh, I think it's like deer tongue. I don't know what kind of grass it is. There's, some, there's a grass flat at the way back, so we, we slid back there because we're like, oh, maybe they're up here, you know, right out the gate this morning. Water was even warmer when we got back there, and never had a bite. So then we went back to where we'd caught the two, caught a couple more, nothing crazy. And uh, then we kind of just started running around. And, like, I caught another one on a trap, uh, generic term for trap. It was actually an XR50. Uh, oh, and I caught one on a uh, the Storm Arashi Vibe, uh, the Ot Defoe Classic winner. You were uh, really just busting out all of the baits, dude. I had like 19 rods. Um, I was I was pretty ready to rip, and uh, caught fish on a lot of like a couple on the lip list. The ideal co angler. Couple on a, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, I had stuff everywhere. <laughs> I was throwing things around. I hijacked the trolling motor a couple times. It was um, it was pretty nice. Now it started raining later in the day, and the wind started blowing really bad. So then we. We, on our way back, um, I had to be home for a dinner thing. So on our way back to the ramp, we stopped at a spot. We saw some dudes catching some crappies. And uh, Chad has Mega Live. So we kind of panned around and found the 8,000-yard long school of crappies. And uh, then we started catching some crappies and uh, brought some home for dinner. And that was kind of the end of the day. We didn't catch a pile of bass. We probably caught, I don't know, 15 or so between the two of us. Nothing like Chad caught one of those maybe three and a quarter. The lake has way better way better potential, but I think because we were kind of in that, you know, it was a week of just crappy, cold, poopy weather, and it was a little warmer that day. Uh, they probably didn't bite as well as they should have, but caught a couple on the uh, 110 Deep Yozuri uh, 3DB jerkbait that Spencer Sheffield has rapped to us about. Uh, and just caught a lot of fish on live, probably, if you've ever paid attention to Spencer Sheffield throwing a jerkbait. Uh, so, yeah, man, I was I was all over the place. But they were biting kind of, I don't know, a little bit of everything, and they were kind of like a little bit of everywhere. Dude, first of all, you're ripping off, like, ideal top ten uh, baits um, <laughs> info here. <laughs> like, I am absolutely ready to plug in some taco warehouse links this is impressive stuff <laughs> uh and i guess too it sounds very fun yeah it was uh it was uh it was nice to uh it was nice too because like other than in college um you know i getting to fish this time of year you know in the midwest is is rare in minnesota it's like impossible right like a lot of the lakes still have ice heck you can't even you're not even legally allowed to bass fish until may so uh it was just kind of fun to get out and like oh man i bet you know pull up to a spot like i don't know probably throw this spinnerbait rolled around and uh catch one or you know throw a jerkbait around and of course the technology aspect of it uh was kind of fun to play around with a little more because know unlike yourself uh i don't get to do it a whole lot at home or you know when i'm not jumping in a pro's boat so that was a it was a fun little day on the water i'm really hoping that uh probably well not this weekend but uh hopefully the following weekend 
uh, before I head to Pickwick, uh, I'll be able to jump back in his boat and go try to uh, wrangle some more largemouths. Uh, or worst case, just steal his boat and go try to catch like an eight pounder. Yeah, that would be uh, ideal. Yeah. Um, have you, what's that? What's the lake that's supposed to be really good in Iowa? Uh, uh, up north, like Okaboji? That's the one I feel like most people talk about. Uh, maybe. Anyway, there was somebody who I think was from Iowa who was talking to me about a lake in Iowa that was really good. And I think maybe that was it. Anyway, you should go there, Kyle. Yeah, Boji's uh, pretty sweet. It's got big small mouse, got big large mouse. Uh, I've never, I actually haven't really fished it a whole lot. It's probably three hours from my house here. It's like Minnesota, Iowa border is kind of where it is. Um, you are also, I believe, seeking sturgeon again. Yeah, you this, will be soon. Yeah, this kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, my dad texted me earlier in the week and was like, "Hey, you want sturgeon fish this weekend?" I'm like, "Oh man, Emily's flying out of the country for a week. You know, I got the kid." But uh, he's like, well, your mom's home Friday, and I'm sure she'd love to watch Remy. And I was like, well. And I started looking at the forecast, and uh, next thing I know, it just uh, not long before we jumped on the uh, the computer here to podcast, uh, I sent my dad the thumbs up text, and I, yeah, I guess I'm going to try to wrangle a sturgeon, uh, which is pretty wild because uh, you know how much I love doing that, and I really kind of wrote it off. I didn't think I'd even be attempting to catch a sturgeon this year so uh i'm starting to get a little more hyped yeah that is uh absolutely ideal i'm i love i love uh i love a sturgeon trip yeah it'll uh should be a good time different too because the river is not open as far as it normally is for the time of year it's been really cold up there uh so we still probably have a lot of light flow they're getting a lot of snow which means a lot of runoff which means we could have real dirty water i don't know what we're getting into all I know is we're going to probably have to um, – how do I word this so if anyone from the DNR listens, I don't get in trouble. We're going to have to just remove frozen water from state-owned boat ramps to access the river, which is uh, – Is that not allowed? I don't know. I'm just – I'm treading water. I've been – we've actually, in the couple of times we've done it, had – uh, the DNR stop by uh, and like say hey and the couple of times they've stopped by and said hey they never bothered us with it uh, but I always kind of tread lightly because there may or may not be power tools involved and I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how well they take to that but I, I think like why wouldn't I be able to you know chisel and chainsaw some ice off a boat ramp I think that the whole point of the boat ramp is to let you put the boat in the water and, you know, if you can't get to the water right from the ramp, you might as well, you know, figure out how to get to it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, we got, it's like my dad and some of his friends, a couple of guys that have never gone before. So that'll be pretty cool. And uh, Drew Aspenwall uh, is going to go up there. So I'll get to see Drew. Oh, so you'll have good cool. content. Yeah. Is he going to bring his puppy? I don't think so. Oh, he should. But I guess I don't I think know that puppy sure. with a sturgeon would be probably internet gold well so my dad uh is a veterinarian and two of the other guys going are also veterinarians so i was like yo drew if you're looking for like you know some free, free advice. veterinary advice now's the time so maybe he will bring the pup i don't know i i think he should i think it'd be a good picture 
<laughs> oh um, yeah. Let's that's that's good. Uh I have also been fishing, as is to be expected. You were you were um, doing ice removing, but it was like already on top of the water. Uh and then yeah. your boat was doing like some rearranging of it, ice, correct? It was doing some rearranging, yeah. <laughs> well, so like it was weird. The lake I went to yesterday, um, I drove by one lake and it was totally iced out. I was like, sweet, this is good. Next lake I got to, it was going to be like 50-something that day. So by the end of the day, it had like 10% ice coverage. But it started at like probably a third of it had ice. Eh, maybe not a third, maybe 25%. But to get from the ramp to where I wanted to fish... I did have to drive through about 200 yards of ice. <laughs> um, and it was not thick, you know. It's not like, you know, I just idled through it and like, whatever. But at the same time, definitely uh, was still some ice there. And we had to make some tracks. Um, then at the end of the midway through the day, I went up to like a pocket on the north end of the lake. And a bunch of ice drifted in across it on the way while I was up there. So I had to go back through. I idled around it at the beginning of it, but then I had to idle <laughs> through it at the end of it. <laughs> um, but you caught some fish, too. But, yeah, I caught fish. Uh, they bit okay. Um, I caught the second five-pound smallmouth of the year, the first I caught in January. Um, so uh, we we got things rolling on the right track. Um, what uh, Did you catch them on a jerkbait? I did catch a couple on a jerkbait. I Which caught most cool. of them. Yeah, I caught most of them like Gussie? on the Ned, Gussie on rig? the Gussie, yeah. you know, like wintertime stuff. But yeah, I got a couple on the jerkbait. One of them, I was throwing that uh, Shimano jerkbait. Oh, um, yeah. Not the minnow, the diver. Um which that thing if you if you put a little if you put one suspend strip on that, you can get it 12 feet down like ASAP. Whoa. It gets there. Um, I, I think I actually should probably take one of the suspend, take like, go to like half of a suspend strip or maybe just a dot. Because um, I think it might be a little bit much. Um, but it'll get down there pretty well. Nice. Uh, it's an impressive, an impressively deep diving jerk bait. And definitely some of them eat it. Um, <laughs> but it's still, I still need a couple more degrees of warm up before i think that i can really expect like a good moving bait bite yeah, yeah. i had some fish follow a swim bait yesterday you, i would expect them to bite it in a week but they followed it up to the boat and then left <laughs> i had my most success literally not moving baits like just holding it in front of fish <laughs> right and watching them like swim up to it an inch at a time and then bite. <laughs> so definitely uh, things are still pretty early here. Uh, yeah. 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 But man, I think that pretty much, you know, after yesterday and after today, like we can pretty much put all the ice to bed in the lake. Uh, I saw a post where uh, the South end of Champlain is in the forties. So Next week, I'm probably going to go and throw a crankbait, you know. Oh, yeah, why not? We're, uh, spring has sprung, man. We we made it. We're doing it. Um, water's still in the, low, in the low 30s in the middle part of Champlain, though. Like, And the problem with Champlain is, of course, it's so big it takes a while to warm up. Like, 
it, it just goes to show, I guess, how, why that smallmouth spawn can linger so much in the mid part of the lake. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it really is a true testament to that when you're looking at small lakes with water in the 40s or, and right now, and then Champlain is kicking out low 30s water and doesn't have ice on it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's wild. Um, but, yeah, anyway, that's, that's, that's the update here. I was... I would love to be fishing today, but I had to work. I am desperately hoping that we cancel some of these Toyota series events so that I can go fishing during them. Because I mean, man, it's, I have just been itching so bad. Uh, But yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it's all, it's all, all good. All in gear. Things are uh, on the up and up. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Brief Bamo update before we close. Bring it to us. Uh, first of all, nothing actually super new to report. I think, did I talk about how the commissioners take the, uh, DEC commissioners taking a new job last week? Uh, yeah, I think you did. Okay. Or yeah, maybe so anyway. you talked to me about it after, but I think it was on the podcast. I think it was on the podcast. I would say if you have not contacted the governor about that, you ought to, because he's going to make the appointment for the new DEC commissioner. The DEC has approved spraying for a number of lakes in Vermont. Uh, I don't know that one person is going to change that direction, but I would take the job if offered it, and I can guarantee that we would not spray any more lakes. Uh, (laughs) Well, I guess I can't guarantee that because I don't know how it works, but I probably can guarantee that. (laughs) Um, I think that probably not me is the ideal candidate for the job, but it would be great to have someone in there who did not look at a lake and think, well, you know, how can we use herbicide in it instead of something? <laughs> right. I think that we could improve on that. Uh, there are a couple of meetings of the Castleton Select Board coming up. That That's sort of a prime target for us right now to uh, get ca- the town of Castleton to come out publicly against the herbicide use in the lake. Um, one is on the 11th. One is on the 25th. These are usually at like 7 o'clock in the evening. And then the 27th of April, there is a there is a Milfoil informational meeting. It's going to be at Jeffords Auditorium at Castleton University. Uh, the select board is like sort of... It's, it's in cooperation with the select board. The format is, and exactly what is going on there has sort of yet to be determined. But... That is likely to be an extremely important meeting and a good one to be present for. Uh, it'll be a pretty large space, so a lot of people can go. Uh, oh, nice. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you. Come on out. Or if you're not, I mean, there's a Toyota Series Western event going on at Clear Lake. There's one going on at Grand Lake, so, I mean, some people will be busy. Me, personally, I'll be in Castleton the evening of the 27th. <laughs> I can guarantee that. <laughs> um, but, uh, anyway... I guess we're sort of wrapped up here. Um, it seems like Kyle. Yeah, and I, I think uh, uh, I've had a great time. Yeah, it's it's been a blast uh, as usual. Uh, but I got to go like uh, dig out some sturgeon rods, pack some warm clothes, and get the truck loaded up so I can uh, venture north. I have had multiple days without rain. I'm going to try to get the trailer unstuck from the field. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
Not sure that'll go well, but it's now is the time because it's supposed to be pretty dang wet coming up. Yep. But anyway, folks, thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure. Uh, Kyle, you're Kyle Lumber. I'm Jody Blanco. Uh, MajorLeagueFishing.com is available for uh, all of your bass fishing needs. Um, if you feel really old school, you can type in FLWFishing.com. It goes to the same place. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess, Kyle, that, that'll do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone, get out, crush life, get out turkey hunting if you can, get out uh, catching fish if you can, and until next time, see you.